We're beginning a brand new series. By the way, if you, um, if you would like to watch uh, scriptures and different things that we're going to highlight, I think I've got a problem with my microphone, so if somebody wants to adjust it, you can. But anyhow, um, uh, if you would like to watch the projections behind us, you can follow right along with everything that's taking place, or you can grab your Bible if you want to go along with that. So today's week one of a three-week series that we're calling God, God's Limitless. And we're going to do three things that he's limitless with. Many things, but we'll do three. Uh, so today's message is God's limitless presence. So we're going to be talking about the presence of God. In Psalm 145, verse 3, it says these words, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. His greatness no one can fathom. The Bible is crystal clear to us that no one can fathom the greatness of our God. No one. No one can. If you think you've figured him out, you haven't. <laughs> no one can figure out God. Our God, his greatness, his sovereign characteristics are incomprehensible. You see, there is a limit to what our finite mind, you and I have a finite mind. Our finite mind can comprehend and understand about the infinite God that we serve. So the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 11, verse Verse 33, and it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Beyond tracing out. The gospel with, with all uh, the, the, the gospel with all things, it begins with, it begins with God. And that's because God is the center of everything. All of this is all found on the scriptures is because God is the center of everything. There's a lot that we can learn about God. Ephesians chapter three talks to us. God does bring to us self-revelation. God allows us to understand him in certain levels with what we can comprehend. And we find that God gives that to us so that we could know him and that we can serve him. The power of the presence of God is the most powerful force in all the universe. I want you to think about that. I'm gonna say it again. I'll say it again. And it says, the power of the presence of God is the most powerful force in all the universe. Give me an amen if you would. The presence of God is the most wonderful place to be in in all of the world. His presence brings life and brings healing and brings recovery. His presence brings salvation and hope. Today, what I want to talk to you about, and I'm going to go through this rather quickly so we can get it in, is found in Isaiah chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, go to that or it will be projected. And I want to talk to you about the presence of God. He is omnipresent. We're going to talk about the presence of God, God's limitless presence. And I also want to say, talk to you about today, what happens when you enter into his presence? What takes place when you enter into the presence of God? Because there is something that happens that can only happen in his presence. It can only happen in his presence. And I understand that God is omniscient. And when I say that God is, excuse me, God is omnipresent, when we say that, that is, is that he is present everywhere. He is present everywhere. And I also understand that there is the inner presence of God. And the inner presence of God is talking about when the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who comes to live and dwell within us, is now resident in our lives. So that's the second thing. I love what uh, Robert Morris says about the presence of God. I got a couple of thoughts I want to share with you on, from, his, his, uh, from one of his messages that he gave. He points out that there is the omnipresence of God. He talks about the omnipresence of God, which is what I just told you, that God is everywhere. 
everywhere. He also talks about the inner presence of God, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. When we give our lives over to Jesus, he wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit and that God would use us in a great way, and that is, that is the inner presence. But then there is the manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God is when God makes his presence known to us where he makes his presence known to each and every one of us. The omnipresence of God is, is uh, defined in Psalm 139, and it says these words. He says, where can I go? The psalmist Davis, David is saying, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? And the answer is, he's everywhere. You can't hide from God. I don't care who you are, whether you're a believer or not today. You can't hide from God. There's nowhere you can go to get out of his presence is what the scripture is saying to us. I love it. But there is his, uh, but there is his manifest presence and it's, it's that place where God's people come together and God shows up in such a powerful way. The people of God, just like we are today, it doesn't just have to be at church, but today we're here together, and God just shows up in a powerful way, and when he does that, lives are changed, and, and we hear God, God is speaking to us, and we have breakthroughs that come into our lives as a result of being in the presence of God, and it's so crucial to know what happens when we enter into his presence, so let me give you a few scriptures. I'll be going along with these rather quickly. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says these words, he says that, you, you will show me the path of life. Your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In Acts chapter 3 verse 19, it says, uh, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. My friend, if you've come here today with sin in your life, it can be blotted out by God. Not by me, not by this church, but by God himself. He wants to meet with you. He wants to blot that out. I read it again. Uh, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, from the presence of the Lord. We're gonna go to Isaiah chapter six. So if you wanna finger through to find that, you can do that right now. But Isaiah chapter six is a rather familiar verse to many of us in this room. We've heard these teachings. We've read this over and over again in the scriptures because this is amazing. This is phenomenal with what we're gonna talk about today. So, uh, and and, uh, Isaiah Come, uh, Isaiah comes into the presence of God. Isaiah is a prophet, and he comes into the presence of God, and we're going to explain that to me, but, to you. But before we do, let me go to Isaiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. These four verses I'm going to read to you. Here's, here it goes. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood a seraphim, a seraphim, sim, excuse me, a seraphim is a type of angel. There are different kinds of angels, but he is a type of an angel. Each one had six wings. With two, they, they covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the posts of the door were, sh- were shaking, shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke, and the house was filled with smoke. What I want to focus on just for a, a few moments, what I want to zero in on is what, when Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. Isaiah the prophet said, when he had this vision, when this happened in Isaiah chapter six, verses one through four, when this happened, he says, I saw the Lord. In God's presence, when God manifests his presence, 
and God manifested his presence, Isaiah's spiritual eyes were opened and he saw God. He was in the presence of God and something happened where he was able to see God. Now, we don't know really what he saw. In other words, whether he saw the physical presence of God, we don't know that for sure. But I personally think, and other theologians, by the way, I'm not a theologian, but other theologians, uh, they, they think, they're saying that um, it, it may be referring to, uh, 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 referring to the fact that all of us, all of us have open hearts when God shows up. In other words, when God shows up in people's lives, like here today, or at home, or wherever you may be, all of a sudden God shows up. All of a sudden our hearts begin to open up. If you would just be sensitive enough to sense that your heart would begin to open up, something big happens. And the eyes of our heart, according to what Paul says, they're enlightened. When we come into the presence of God, when God comes and meets us, our, eye, our eyes are enlightened. And I'm sure that a huge majority of you have had that happen to you at one time or another in your, in your life, that God has shown up, that maybe you were in a worship service, maybe just like we were doing a few moments ago, and bam, all of a sudden, God shows up. God speaks to you. God gives you something. God assures you of something. Um, all of a sudden, you, you, you see something that you've never seen before. You hear something that you've never heard before. And you get it, or you get an answer that comes from God for your question or your need, whatever it is that you're dealing with. But according to this passage, three things we, we see when we come into the presence of God. And I want to talk to you very quickly about these three things. Number one, how... how um, big our God is. Number one is how big God is. Let me read to you again Isaiah 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died. In the year that King Uzziah died. Before we go any further in this, I think we need to explain what this means. Why would, why would the prophet uh, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah say that? So to understand this passage, uh, we've got to understand why he starts off with this. So King Uzziah he was a very godly king. He was a great king. Most people look at, what the, at the mistake that he made at the end of his tenure as a, uh, as a king of Israel, and they sort of discount because of the thing that he had done wrong, the, the thing that had gone bad for him, a mistake that he made, something that he did. But you need to know that King Uzziah was a very godly king, a godly king of Israel. He implemented worship for people. He also built uh, uh, built places for people so that they could gather together and commune and worship together and worship God. King Uzziah followed the precepts of the Lord. He was a great king. And King Uzziah was the only thing, the only thing that was stopping the king of Assyria from uh, taking over Israel. He was feared. He was powerful. God's favor was on him. So God gave him tremendous favor. God gave him tremendous wisdom because he served the Lord God and he reigned for 52 years. 52 years in the nation of Israel. And Isaiah is saying, in the year that King Uzziah died, in other words, in other words, we, have, we had our hope and our trust in this man. And now he's dead. He's dead. He's died. And his son is not going to be able to carry on his father's kingdom because he's been proven to be unfit, not able to do that. And they, they all knew that they were in trouble when Uzziah died. So uh, Isaiah, Isaiah is, is in a place of despair. He's very upset at the loss of King Uzziah, very upset about this. And you may wonder, well, how did he die? What happened to him? This is where he made the mistake. This is where he went wrong. 
King Uzziah became so strong, so feared, that he decided that he could, he could do things his own way, whatever that would mean to him. So Uzziah went into the temple one day and he decided that, that he didn't need the priest to do their priestly things, that he could do it himself because he's the king. He says that he can do that. So the priests come marching into the temple and as they see him there, they ask him, what are you doing? You're not to be doing this. And Uzziah, Uzziah looked at them and said, yes, I can because I'm the king. And immediately... When he said that, immediately the Bible tells us he was struck with leprosy. Struck with le leprosy. And King Uzziah was isolated from the house of the Lord for the rest of his life. And, and Uzziah was also would live alone in isolation from his family as well. Because this king decided that he can worship God in his own way. So Isaiah. Isaiah is in this place where he believes that he's in trouble himself because the king has died. The king has died. But here's what happens. Isaiah, Isaiah goes into the temple of God and he begins to worship. He just begins to worship God. He enters into the temple and he begins to worship. He begins to worship God. And Isaiah has this aha moment with God. He has this aha moment. And the Lord begins to speak to him. God gives him a word that would, would sort of propel him to keep on moving forward, that you don't need to live in fear because God is big enough to take care of whatever the issue may be. So it would be like God would speak to him and say something like this to Isaiah. You know the, the king with the small K? Yeah, he's dead, is what God says. He's dead. But, but the king with a big K, a big K, is still alive. And he is on his throne. And Isaiah has this encounter, this incredible encounter with God. God gave him that assurance that everything is going to be okay. So I want to ask you, how many of us, how many of you and I that, were, that are here today need something like this to happen to you, for you even right now? Whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you're dealing with. Maybe you're here today and you're dealing with something that is huge and overwhelming and you're not exactly sure what, you're, what you are to do. We become overwhelmed and we become paranoid and confused and filled with stress when things like this end up coming our way. But when we come into his presence, and I don't care where you are, this can happen at home, it can happen in the car, it can happen at, at, uh, in a closet, it can happen at church, it can happen at work or at school. When we come into his presence, it's like Isaiah, in the, in the time of his fear and hesitation, he saw the Lord. God revealed himself to him. God revealed himself to Isaiah. And when we see and know that the Lord, uh, when we see and know the Lord and how big our God is, we know, we know that it's going to be okay because God is big enough to take care of us. Come on, give me an amen. God wants to meet with us is what we know for sure. Takes me to step number two. Step number two is how small we are. Number one is how big our God is. Number two is how small we are. Go with me to Isaiah chapter uh, uh, six, verse five. Isaiah six, five. <clears throat> and it says this. So, so I said, woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. For the eyes, uh, for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. By the way, the Lord of hosts means it's referring to the commander of the armies of heaven. 
It is the living God who he has seen. It is the living God that he is dealing with right here. So Isaiah has a meltdown when he literally saw the king of the Lord of hosts. It is an incredible thing to experience, I'm telling you. It is an incredible thing to experience when you see God, when you hear God, when God is moving in your life. So I, Isaiah identifies in verse one that the year, uh, that in the year uh, uh, that King Uzziah died, he was talking about that moment, but now, but now, but now he is saying, I've seen the commander of the Lord's army. I've seen him, and Isaiah says, and it proves to me how big our God is and how small we are before our great God. Church, you have got to grab a hold of this stuff. You've got to understand in the midst of the challenges that you and I are facing, the stress that we deal with in our lives, whatever the issues are, whatever's coming down for you, you and I need to realize how big our God is and how small we really are before our great God. So we can learn a couple of things. Let me just go over this with you real quick. First thing I want you to learn is really how small, how small we are compared to how big our God is. Another way for me to say this to maybe make it a little bit more positive for you is how small our problems really are compared to how much strength and power that our God has. Do you agree? Whatever we're facing, whatever we're facing. So all of a sudden now, the doctor found a lump. All of a sudden now, your son or your daughter is down, going down the wrong path big time. Or, or uh, all of a sudden, your job is now relocating to Atlanta, and you've got to change everything. You've, you're facing some huge issues, some big deals that are taking place in your life. And humanly speaking, we are very limited. Humanly speaking, people get through some of the issues of their lives because they're, they, even though they're limited, they can make some things happen for them. But when we're connected with God... But the reality is, is with a proper God perspective, this isn't that big of a deal for God. None of these things are, none of these things. And the reason why I would say that, <coughs> not in your notes, but it says in Ephesians chapter three, verses 20 and 21, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations and, and uh, forever and ever is what the scriptures are saying. So what, what, the, what the scriptures are declaring to us, no matter how big this thing is, there's something even bigger and greater than that problem. And it's God himself. He's there with us. Which takes me to the second point of this. And that is, is the holiness of God. The holiness of God. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3, I just read it to you. And the angel cried out, holy, holy, holy. Are you Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts? The whole earth is full of his glory. Have you ever wondered why they say holy, holy, holy? Have you ever wondered why they would say that three times? Nowhere else in scripture do they say God is loving, 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 or they would say that God is strong, 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 strong. They don't say that. It's only with holy. He says the words holy, holy, holy. And, and the reason why most theolog theologians think uh, anyhow they're rationale is is because when you come into the presence of God when you see and experience his presence of our holy God one holy just isn't enough you need more than just one I've been in the holy presence of God no they couldn't do it that way they would say holy 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 the word holy means to be set apart meaning that God is totally set apart totally set apart of all imperfections of all un, uh, uh, uncleanness and that's exactly what Isaiah sees and immediately he says God you are holy 
Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God. And I am not holy is what he is saying. I am not holy as you are holy. Listen to me. Listen to this. And that's not a bad revelation for you to have. It's not a bad revelation that you and I would stand before a holy God and we can see where, un, where we are unholy. It's okay for that. It's a good thing. It's a God thing that would be happening to some of us today. That, that if you stand before a holy God that you're going to see what is unholy in you and in me. So to me, that's not a bad thing when God says that. The, the, when we see how bad we really are. Because God is big enough. And God is wise enough. And God is able to get you and I through to the other side every single time. And if you agree with me on that, would you give the Lord a round of applause? He's a good God. He's a good God. He'll get us through. He will get you and I through onto on the other side. So God is big enough. He's wise enough. He is able to get you and I through to the other side. And it's okay for God to show us our sin because he has the remedy. So when you come into his presence, number one, you know how big God is. Number two, you begin to realize how small you and I are. And number three, God is completely good. God is completely good. I want you to hear it one more time. God is completely good. Psalm 119 verse 68, it says here, David says, you are good and, and only do good is what he says. You are good and only do God, do good. In James chapter one, verse 17 and 18, and it says these words, he says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down uh, to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights, all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts sh uh, shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us. This is incredible. He has chosen. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? I don't know what you feel about yourself, but I know for me, I've failed God miserably. I've done a lot of wrong. Thank God he's on my side and he's helping me through all of this. But the scripture declares that even in our weakness, even in our shortcomings and our failures, the Bible says here, it says, and we out of all of creation became his prized possession. That is just too incredible for me. It's just too wonderful. So God is not partially good because God is not partially anything. Whatever God is, he's that fully. God is the complete picture of good. God doesn't have goodness. God doesn't just have goodness, but he is good and he is perfectly good. He is perfectly good. Understanding God's goodness makes all the difference in what we believe about him. You see, the father is completely good, completely good. And you need to grasp the Christian view regarding that God created you. God created you because he didn't want robots. God created you because, with a mind so that you could think. God created you with a heart so that you could feel. God created you with a will so that you could choose. God is not going to force you into choosing him. You have a choice. He's not going to force you. He didn't make you to be a robot so that he could push a button and you have to love God. You have to serve God. No, you've got a free will. I have got a free will. 
And God is not going to force you to choose him. You and I have a choice. And the truth is, all of us, all of us have chosen at some time in our life to do what was wrong, to go the wrong way, to get down the wrong path. All of you are way too holy to give me an amen, huh? Oh my. All of us have failed God in one way or another and maybe still do it time to time. We've all done that. Randy Chiz has done that and does do that periodically. And God knew that that was going to happen. He knew that once we come to find God and he's changed our lives that we're going to stumble a little bit every now and then. He understands all of that. So God did something about that and he sent his only begotten son, Jesus. And he sent him to the cross. He he died (coughs) an agonizing, horrible death on a cross to pay for all the sins of the world so that if you would believe in Jesus, man, that's all you have to do. It begins by believing It begins by believing in Jesus. Just a minute. It begins by believing in Jesus. And if we, it begins by believing in Jesus. I got that on my notes here somewhere and I'm trying to find it. Um, (laughs) And if, if if we believe in Jesus, then we understand, we understand that God is, uh, is, is going to, direct and lead our lives. God did something about that. He sent his son. And so if we submit our lives and our, our will to over to God, and we, are, we then can become saved. We then can become saved. But you have to do that. That is a personal decision that you have to make. You and I can be totally forgiven of our sin. Completely, totally forgiven of our sin. But you have to make that choice to go to God and say, would you forgive me? He will. He's not against you. He's for you. He he will forgive you and I of our sins. We can be forever with God in this place called heaven. And it says this about heaven. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men what God has in store for those who love him. He's got something amazing for each and every one of us. We must choose God. The Father's goodness Romans eleven twenty two just about done. Romans 22, 11, 22, it says these words, therefore consider. Consider the goodness and the severity of God. Did you hear that? Therefore consider. Consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell severity. But toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you may be cut off. Otherwise, you and I would be cut off. You get to choose. I want to share with you very quickly two real quick stories. My story begins July 5th, 1971. A lot of people know my story. I'm not going to go into any great detail. But at 16 years old, in a small Roman Catholic church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, I gave my life to Jesus. I was raised Catholic altar boy, choir, I did a bunch of stuff. I was doing the Catholic things, but I want to let you know honestly, I had no relationship with God. I didn't really believe in God. Oh yeah, there's a thing on a cross over there, but you know, I, I didn't have any application to my own life. I went down to Philadelphia to meet my big uh, oldest brother, and uh, I walked in the door, had hair down to my shoulders. I did. You think I was born like this? I had hair down to my shoulders and uh, had a cigarette sticking out of my face. And uh, my brother looks at me and he says, Randy, you need Jesus. And I go, I'm a Catholic. And then he says, no. He says, you need to be born again. And I had no clue what that was. He ended up inviting me to go to a small Catholic church in Philadelphia 
where God was moving in a powerful way. The presence of God was in that place, unbelievable. So I ended up going there with my, uh, I, my brother dropped me off, in fact, and uh, ended up going to that place, and immediately I felt something. Listen, man, I was raised a Catholic. I've been in beautiful structures in my life, and I'm in another pretty nice structure with this small little Catholic church, and I could feel something I'd never felt before. When it was all said and done, I walked out the door, went on the front lawn, and I looked up at the starry sky. This is in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I said, to Jesus, I said, if this is real, I want it. What I'm experiencing right now, what I'm feeling on the inside of me right now, I want it. And I'm telling you, man, instantly, instantly, something invaded my life of the presence of God, and He changed me forever. He's changed me forever. I want to let you know, I want to let you know that <clears throat> within a year, I fell away from God. I began to backslide. Part of the reason for that wasn't just this reason, but part of the reason, part of the reason was the Catholic church I was attending here in central New York was not helping me. As a 16-year-old kid, I wasn't getting help to keep on my walk with God, and so I ended up falling away. The second story, which is as important to me as the first story, is my precious wife, Marianne. Her story is incredible. I just share this with you quickly. In the 11th grade, her and I, she's my high school sweetheart. In the 11th grade, she and I, in the summer of 72, began to date one another and begin to get closer. We knew each other for many, many years, and uh, something was beginning to happen. And, uh, and I started taking my girlfriend out, and she kissed me first. I've told that story a hundred times. I'm not going to tell you again, but she kissed me first on that date. And we ended up getting married on November 16, 1973. And uh, again, I'm falling away from God. I'm not serving God at this particular time. Marianne was raised a Catholic. She was raised in an Italian family, and, and she was raised Catholic, but never, ever went to church. And in her teenage years, she started really having a hunger for God. She began to seek God. So she would drive herself at 16 years old. She would drive herself to church just because she knew that there was something about God, but she didn't know what it was. She had no clue whatsoever. So in our teenage years, um, when she was seeking God, uh, we ended up, of course, marrying. I mentioned that we had done that. And my sister-in-law, my sister-in-law, my brother, oldest brother's wife, um, began to share with Marianne about Jesus and what Jesus had done. My oldest brother and his wife led me to Christ. You know, it ended up going to their home, changed my whole life. And so uh, Caroline, my sister-in-law, began to talk to Marianne about some of the things of God. And uh, wouldn't you know it that Caroline led Marianne to Jesus while Marianne and her were sitting on the side of a bathtub in my mom and dad's house, and uh, she gave her life to Jesus. Well, we ended up going to St. James Catholic Church on South Salina Street here in Syracuse. We're young. We've been married a month, a couple, three months, whatever it is, and uh, so we go to St. James because they're having the same experience in that church as what was going on in Philadelphia. And so when we got in there, Marianne was afraid, afraid to go in. She was very frightened, and she didn't want to go in. She didn't know what to expect. But we ended up coaxing her in, and she had three things, three questions that she was talking about trying to understand God, three things. And then what I'm going to tell you, it is the absolute truth. This is the absolute truth. You don't know me. I could be lying through my teeth, but I'm telling you, this is the truth. All of a sudden, in that Little Catholic church where the Spirit of God was moving, God's presence was in that place. All of a sudden, someone began to speak out in other tongues. And when that happened, immediately, immediately there was an interpretation of the tongue that was given. And wouldn't you know, the person, by the way, that gave the tongues and who interpreted it didn't know, know us. I didn't know them. I know where they were sitting because they were sitting right directly across from Marianne and I. And I could see them. And uh, all of a sudden, 
they began to interpret the three questions that Marianne had when she walked into that room. They gave her the exact answers of what she was looking for. She didn't understand it. And her thought was, if I could understand this, I would believe that there is a God. And it happened. And she was convinced in the presence of God that this is real. That this is real. This is real. Incredible. And the apostle um, Paul tells us, we find within the scriptures that he says um, that we are to consider, we are to consider um, this particular verse that, that is right here in Romans eleven twenty two. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you is goodness if you continue in goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. The scriptures are clear to us. It's a choice that we make. And you're not a robot. Nobody can make you follow God. That's a decision that you make. You may say yes or no. And I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to make a decision. Because my friend, we don't know what's going to happen in the next 24 hours. We don't know what's going to happen in the next few weeks. And if you keep on putting this in your back pocket, sir, you keep coming to church and you put it in your back pocket. Yeah, I'll do it someday. I'll do it someday. That someday may be too late. Today is the day. Why not today? And the, the Word of God is telling us that we need to consider this. Consider this decision that you would have. So I'm going to ask if you would please stand to your feet with me. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. Because I want to challenge you with this. I want to challenge you with the idea that, that maybe, just maybe, God is speaking to you today through this message. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to personalize this message for you. And just be brave enough to say this to God. You don't need to say it out loud. But just say this to God. What are you trying to say to me today, God? With this service, with this message, with this worship that I experienced today. What are you trying to say to me? And I believe that what God is trying to say to you is, I love you just the way you are. I love you just the way you are. And he can change your life if you want that to happen. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to pray a little prayer of receiving Christ. I'm not asking you to join this church. You don't ever have to come back here again. That's your decision. I'm not asking you to be a member of Word of Life at all. But what I am asking you to do is to receive Jesus into your life. And my friend, I'm telling you, it happened to me 48 years ago. It changed my life. If this is real, I want it. So I challenge you with the same thing. So I'm going to say a little prayer. If you want to say that along with me, if you want to repeat what I say, you can whisper that. You can say it in your mind or you can say it with your lips out loud. But say this prayer with me if you want to receive Christ. Not join the church, but to receive Christ. Pray this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I admit to you that I have sinned. Come on, say that again. I admit to you that I have sinned. And God, would you forgive me? I give you my life. And I give you my heart in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you would, please. It's still a private moment. I don't want anybody to feel embarrassed. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to recognize people who may have prayed that prayer for the first time today. For your first time, you're praying that prayer. Or maybe you were serving God one day and you walked away and you're coming back today and you wanted to pray that. If that's you, would you just give me a wave? I'm looking to my left side. Thank you. Thank you. Any others over here? Thank you. Over here. I appreciate that. Up in the back. Thank you for all those hands back there. That's wonderful. Down here as well. On my right side, center right. Give me a wave if that's you. Give me a wave over here to my right side. Would you do that? I know there's some of you. There you are. 
Okay, so Father God, I am grateful for this, these who have committed their lives to Christ today. And we give you all the glory, meet their needs, bless them mightily, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a round of applause. This is a really, really good response. Real quick, as you walk on out of here, we want to encourage you that you would consider being a part of learning to follow Jesus. You saw the, the video of that today. We have some people over here to my right. I think my brother Mike is going to be over here. So you can go over there and he'll just take your name and number if you'd like to be a part of that and we'll be in contact with you. Another thing that we want to encourage you to do is to be water baptized. Man, if you haven't been water baptized yet, we want to do that for you. We will do that the third Wednesday of every month. So if you would like to be water baptized, we just did it last week. I think we had seven that were water baptized. If you want to be water baptized, we will do that for you the third Sunday of the month. And I know there's a last thing. I, I just want to encourage you to uh, be in relationship with other Christians. If you want to grow in the things of God, you need to be around other people who believe like you believe. So I encourage you to be a part of that. We have a small group that you could join and be a part of that if you would like. We're going to sing our last song. If anybody has a need for anything at all, you come on down. We're going to pray over you. And as soon as we're done with the song, we will release you. God bless you. Let's go ahead with that song.